Hi, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of Bethlehem Church. We are located in Austin, Minnesota, and I'm Pastor Paul Steele. We are in a sermon series entitled Living by Faith as we look at the book of James. Now, James is a letter found in the New Testament, and it's written by James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing to Jewish Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He's sharing his wisdom with them so that they can have the knowledge they need to live a life of faith within the culture that they find themselves in. Now, we are in a very similar situation. We're asking ourselves, how do we live a life of faith? How do we follow Jesus in the culture that we live in, in the politics that that we have, with the money and the luxuries that we get to enjoy, within the multicultural and multi-religious realities that are expressed in our society, in our culture. And our hope is that as we go through this book, the wisdom that James shared with these Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago will help give us guidance on how we live a life of faith today. Now let's get into the sermon. And as we've gone through James, I've said that, that James has been influenced. It appears to be uh, greatly influenced, especially in the writing of this letter, through uh, Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount, and the book of Proverbs. And so Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. One of the key features of life are relationships. Right? We all have relationships with other people. And we all have had our share of disagreements and conflict with those people. Even those people that we love, the people we like the most, there's disagreements and conflicts that come up. That is a part of life. Relationships have the ability to bring out what is the best of life, but they also have the ability to make life more difficult. And sometimes uh, the disagreements, the conflicts that we have, maybe most of the time, I don't know, are over silly, weird things. And this is true not only in our personal relationships, but in the world at large. So have you ever heard about the War of the Whiskers? The War of the Whiskers. Anybody heard that war? Okay, so in 11... In 1115, there, a war between England and France started. Now, this began when King Louis VII of France married, was married to Eleanor, the daughter of, of a French duke. And as a dowry, he received two provinces in, the, in southern France. Now, King uh, King Louis then went off and 
to the Crusades. And when he came back, he shaved off his beard, which Queen Eleanor did not like. She said, you look ugly. Grow it back. And he said, no, I'm not going to grow my beard back. And so she divorced him. And after divorcing him, she married King Henry II of England. And King Louis then lost the dowry, these two provinces in France, southern France. And because of the divorce, he, he demanded that those two provinces be returned. And, uh, and they weren't. And so they went to war. France went to war with England for the return of these two provinces. All because King Louis shaved off his beard. And this war, the War of the Whiskers, lasted 300 years. Peace was declared in 1453. All because of a beard. The war of the whiskers. Conflict comes at us, and it's for the weirdest reasons at times. But because of this, and because each of us is unique, we come into our relations with different perspectives, different personalities, different preferences. This means relationships lead to disagreements and conflict. And this is why we need wisdom. We need wisdom to help us navigate this, help us to learn how to live with one another, because this doesn't come naturally to us. We need wisdom so we can avoid conflict from even beginning, and we need wisdom to help us navigate through the conflict that does happen. And as Christians, we want our wisdom to be based on God's truth, God's wisdom on Scripture. And so we come to the Bible, and and oftentimes we should come to the Bible with this question, how should I, as a disciple of Jesus, how should a disciple of Jesus live? How do I receive the wisdom that I need, right? Because wisdom is the godly knowledge for living life well. So how do I have this knowledge? How do I gain this knowledge for living life well? And as we've walked through the book of James, the answer that James gives us is that a disciple of Jesus is to live each day by faith. We're to live each day by faith, by a loyalty, a commitment to God. We need his wisdom. So last week, we ended with this section talking, emphasizing wisdom. And in that, James is, is, is comparing worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. What does that look like? That worldly wisdom leads to envy and jealousy, jealousy and division and conflict. And godly wisdom leads to peace. 
peacemakers who sow seeds of peace for a harvest of righteousness. We need that type of wisdom. And that's what leads us into our text today, right? This isn't, this isn't two totally different topics. They're right next to each other. And so James chapter 4, starting with verse 1. James chapter 4, starting with verse 1. He's just talked about, right, planting seeds of peace. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So when we come here, one of the things that we need to understand is, is, is that James is writing with a, a little bit of, of, of uh, exaggeration. Because he's prob- the, the Christians James is talking to, most of them probably haven't been out killing other people. So there's a little bit of an exaggeration he's using here to make his point. But what he says here, this is, this is the key of, of what he is saying here. He is saying our motivations matter. Our motivations matter. Our motivations matter when it comes to, to our relationship with God. Our motivations matter when it comes to our relationships with one another. There was a boy who went into a, a department store and looking to buy a gift for his mom's birthday. And he goes up to the counter and he, he asks, do you have any cookie, cho- any cookie jars? And so one of the, the workers takes him to the, the selection of cookie jars they had, and, and he carefully lifts each one of the lids, looks inside, replaces the lid. And he goes through all of them. And when he replaced the last lid, his, his face was kind of like, he, he looked disappointed. And he said, aren't there any covers that don't make any noise? So he's using, right, he's using the, the, the time of his mom's birthday, not just to get her a gift, but to get her something that he can use, right? So he can get, like, like, what's his motivation to get a cookie jar that doesn't make any noise so he can get sneak cookies? Our motivations matter. And sometimes it can look like we're doing the right thing, but it's actually the wrong thing because our motivations aren't right. Our motivations are all messed up. And that's what leads to the conflict. That's what leads to the disagreements. That's what leads to to broken relationships. James is saying, pay attention to your motivations. Are they being formed by the wisdom of this world? Or are they being formed by God and God's will, God's truth, God's wisdom? 
He says, hey, you, you want all these things that you don't have. And the reason you don't have it is because you're asking. You, you haven't even prayed about it. And even when you don't pray, pray about it, you still don't get it because you're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking for the wrong motivations. We need to examine the motivations that we have in our lives. The motivations that are underneath why we come to church. Why we do the things that we do. Why we pray the prayers that we have. Why are we having relationships and friendships with the people that we do? Why are we asking them? We need to examine the motivations that we have. Because so often, because our motivations are wrong, that is what causes the conflict between us and other people, between us and God. We need to know our true motivations because they matter. They matter. Especially when it comes to our relationship with God. He goes on to say here in verses 4 through through 6, you adulterers, don't you realize that your friendship, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that God, that the Spirit of God has, has placed within us is filled with envy, but he gives us even more grace to, under, to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. What wisdom are we following? Are we following godly wisdom or following the wisdom of this world? Because that really is the test of all tests. If we go to Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, that's the test. Are they going to listen to God and God's wisdom or are they going to decide to do what seems to come right to them? Are they the ones who are going to define good and bad or are they going to allow God and follow God's definition of good and bad? It's the test that Abraham and Sarah face. Are they going to trust in God or are they going to make this happen themselves? It's the test that Moses faced. It's the test that David faced. It's the test that Solomon faced. Are we going to follow after God and his wisdom or are we going to do what seems right to us? Are we going to follow what the world says is right? And the world being that the, the, the system of life that we live in that's been influenced right, by sin has been corrupted by sin. What are we giving our lives to? And so he, James uses this idea of adultery, which is seen in, especially in the prophets 
where the prophets accused Israel of being adulterers because they were in this committed relationship with God and they were not faithful to God. They were not faithful to doing what God had asked them to do. They were, they were not loyal to God. They were not giving their heart to God. They were instead doing all this idolatry. They were pursuing these other gods. That's the image that, that James wants his readers to understand. This is who you are. You are imitating your ancestors who were not loyal to God. who did not live by God's wisdom. They did what seemed best in their own eyes. They were adulterers rather than being faithful. God desires to have a relationship with us. God desires to have a relationship with us. And so that's why Moses told the Israelites, your God is a jealous God. Why? Because God is in a committed relationship with us. He is faithful to us and he wants us. He wants to have a relationship with us and we are not doing it. We're going our own way. We're doing what seems right to us. We are not committed to him. And so we have a choice to make. Are we going to follow the wisdom of God? Are we going to do what God wants us to do? Are we going to follow his will? Or are we going to do our own thing? And probably what is behind this whole letter, and it really comes out here, is that James is writing to these Jewish Christians around the Roman Empire. And they're sick of Rome. They want God's kingdom to come. And so they are raising money, and they are talking about how to overthrow Rome and bring God's kingdom here on earth. That didn't all magically change once Jesus rose from the dead. So they were going to use the world's wisdom on how to do a revolution, how to overthrow Rome. And so they were talking about God's kingdom. But what they were bringing about was what they wanted, their vision of the kingdom, and not what God was doing. And so we have to be careful. We can use the same language, the rhetoric, that make it sound like, yeah, we're on God's team. But the practices and our motivations and our desires, our outcomes are all different. So we need to be careful about where the wisdom we are getting comes from. Because we can convince ourselves that we are on God's team. We are taking a stand for God. And that we're not. We're not part of the kingdom because we're doing it by ways other than the way that God 
wants us to. And that's why Jesus said that some people will say, Lord, Lord. And yet, I will say to them, apart from me, I never knew you. Our motivations matter. The wisdom we're following matters. And we need to make this decision that we are going to be all in on God and His kingdom. That we are going to do it God's way. That that's where our commitment lies. That matters. And in order to do that, we have to be humble. Verses 7 through 10. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. And as they investigated what happened in this crash, what they discovered was that the captains of these two ships they were on a collision course and the other one was going to be the one to alter their course. They knew they were heading in the right direction. They knew what was going to happen and yet their pride didn't allow them to change course. See, we can convince ourselves like, hey, we're on this right course. Like, we're doing the right thing. And yet, in the distance, we can see this is going to lead to disaster. And yet, we justify and we think, no, that's not going to happen to us. Humility is a key feature of a life of faith. Humility is essential to living a, li- a faithful life. Because we need to let go of our way of living. We need to let that go. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, Peter writes that, that, uh, that, uh, that Jesus came to redeem us from the worthless, useless ways of our ancestors. So many of us get caught up in, hey, this is just the, uh, you know, this is just the American way. This is, this is the American dream. And we give our lives over to it without ever asking, is this the right way to live? 
is this really the wise thing to do? Is God calling me to do something different? It's useless. It's, it's worthless. It, do, it doesn't lead to where we want to go. So we need to humble ourselves, submit, other translations say, submit to God and resist the devil. See, the way we submit or the way we resist the devil isn't just by standing there and saying, hey, Satan, I resist you. Go away. That's not how it is. We resist the devil when we understand that we are part of God's kingdom and we give ourselves away to that. We surrender to the kingdom. We surrender to God's way. And we say, this is the way I'm going to live. Uh, this is where I have authority. Is it within God's kingdom? That's what we see Jesus doing. How did Jesus resist the devil? He was all in on God's way of bringing salvation and God's way of ushering the, his kingdom into this world. And so when Satan comes to tempt him, and all three of those temptations we read about are about trying to get Jesus to do something other than God's plan. And Jesus responds, how? With Scripture. Because Jesus was so sold on bringing the kingdom and doing his Father's will, he was able to stand there, tell Satan, this is what Scripture says, and resist Satan. And eventually what happened to Satan? He left. That's what we need to do. James goes on here. To, to say that we need to purify ourselves, right? So much of the Old Testament and the, the Old Testament rituals and the law, they were about cleansing and purification with blood and water. That's, that's the image that James is trying to remind them of. Hey, you are a kingdom of priests. And just as the priests had to cleanse themselves and purify themselves in order to serve. We need to cleanse ourselves. We need to purify ourselves. And so how do we do that? We wash ourselves with the water of the word, right? We pray. We take communion. So we have access to the blood of Christ. And so while ultimately purification and cleansing only comes from God through through the Spirit, we have a part to play. So we read, we pray, we study to show that we are being cleansed, that this is where we want to be. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. You alone have, he alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? James is saying, be careful. One of the things that causes conflict is our judging of one another. And James says, you be careful about your judging. 
See, we are to look, when it comes to these judgments, we are to look inward before we look outward. We are to take care of the person that we are most responsible for before judging other people. And as we look outward, we need to remember that our perspective is very limited. So John Wesley, who you know, was the founder of, of, of Methodism, the Methodist Church, uh, he uh, was involved in this congregation preaching, and there's a, one of the, a fairly new convert to that congregation who came from a very lavish lifestyle. He just lived it up. And then once he was converted, his, his life changed. And yet, when it came to giving and offering, he seemed to be kind of stingy, cheap. And that bothered Wesley. Because he, he saw how he lived before. And he just thought, this guy is cheap. He's not giving what he should be giving. And one Sunday when they came and they had this special offering, and this guy didn't give what Wesley thought he should give, how would you like this to happen? He got up, Wesley got up, and called the guy out. Afterwards, the man approached John Wesley and said, Hey, when I was, before I became a Christian, I was living beyond my means. I have all these, I'm in debt to all these people. And now I've, I've realized that my life had to change, and so. I'm getting by on just the bare minimum so I can pay all this stuff off. And John Wesley apologized. See, we want to stand. We think we, we know it all. We have God's word. We, and so we, we are there and we're going to call people out for not living the way that we think they should live. And yet our perspective on what's going on is very limited. That's why James is saying, be careful to judge. Jesus says, right, don't go and tell your brother who has a speck in his eye, hey, let me take that out. When you have a two-by-four sticking out of your own eye, take care of your own eye first. And Paul says in Romans, he says, hey, you who call those people lawbreakers, aren't you doing the very same thing? Like, how can we call somebody out for adultery and saying, hey, you're such a terrible person for that when we have all this loss built up in, my, in our own hearts? Right? Jesus said, hey, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in her heart. You're a lawbreaker just like they are. So James is saying the only one who can truly righteously judge, especially when it comes to who's in and out of the kingdom of God, is God himself. He is the lawgiver. He is the one who knows. So you listen. So you, you let him be the judge. You don't take that on. And so when we 
realize that our job isn't about criticizing and judging, we start to reduce that conflict that is in our lives. We start to work for peace. So here's what we need to know. What do we need to know this morning? We need to work for peace. And when we work for peace, that shows we're living with the wisdom that God has given us. So when we work for peace, we need to work, work for peace with each other. Right? We want to work for peace with each other. We don't want to have conflicts with each other. So how do we do that? How do we work for peace with each other? We, understand, we need to understand our true motivations. Right? We need to be compassionate and kind, and we don't judge. Don't judge one another. We can call things for right and wrong, but we're not judging people. We're not condemning them. We need to work for peace with ourselves. So we have to accept that God's way is the best way. We need to, uh, we need to live with humility. So we need to, to, we need to make this stand in this commitment. Like, I am going to follow Jesus. Otherwise, and, and James has kind of used this, this, uh, this image a couple times, otherwise we're divided within ourselves. We have a war going on here. Uh, we're being blown to and fro. No, we work for peace within ourselves by making this commitment and say, I am part of God's kingdom. I am loyal to him. That's the direction I'm going. And we need to work for peace with God. God wants to have a relationship with us. We need to be faithful to him. And that means we have to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. We work for peace by remembering who God is, his love for us, confessing our sins, the way we've been disloyal, and asking him for forgiveness. So our bottom line this morning is this. A disciple of Jesus lives a humble life before God and people. A disciple of Jesus lives a humble life before God and people. See, this allows us to live with God's wisdom. We don't have to act like we know it all. We follow what God says. We, we submit to his will, will. It allows us to focus on our shortcomings rather than criticizing other people. It reminds us that we are God's people, making him known, right? Rather than trying to make ourselves known, rather than getting our own, name, our, our own way. Our challenge this morning is this. Identify, what, identify a relationship and what you did wrong in that relationship that has led to conflict. Identify what you did in a relationship that has led to conflict. So often in our relationships, when there's conflict there, what do we do? We put the blame on the other person. Just realize they're putting the blame on you, right? But if we're following what James is saying here is that there is something, if there's conflict there, there's something that we're doing wrong as well. So what is it? What is it that's causing conflict in the relationships that we have in our lives? It's easy to blame the other person. God's wisdom is encouraging us to look at the part we played and then seek forgiveness. 
Thanks for watching and listening to our sermon today. I hope that it was an encouragement to you as you follow Jesus. If you've benefited from our Sunday morning live stream, from our bottom, bottom line videos, uh, or this sermon podcast, one of the best ways you can support us is simply to give. And you can do that by going to our website, BethlehemChurchAustin.com, and following the Give tab. If you have a question, if you have a prayer request that you'd like other people to be praying about, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can leave a comment. You can send us a, a personal message. You can email us. But we would love to be in contact with you. We'd love to, to be praying for you. That's one of the benefits of being part of the worldwide global church is that we are in this together. So have a great rest of the week and God bless.